0: Thank you, Abby, and good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning to Bethany, and thank you for joining us in worship, both here in the sanctuary and across the street, also in the chapel, and also online. We're honored, really, that you'd worship with us this morning, and it is a um, kind of a uniquely heavy morning in the wake of the news cycle, so I'll invite you to join me in prayer, and then we'll begin, because I think what Romans 5 has to say to us this morning uh, and what God would speak to us through that text would be significant and appropriate both for us individually and for our life together. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that we gather here in your name, and we gather here uh, not only to worship you and give thanks for all that you provide, as we've sung, but we gather also to ask that you would uh, show us, Father, how to represent your heart in the midst of a broken world. Show us how to be people of hope and reconciliation and toward that end, we just open our hearts to you right now and invite you to teach us. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Uh, scriptures are interesting in the like, highly elevated view that they offer for humanity. Psalm chapter 8, verses 5 and 6, says regarding you and I, we're, we're created by God just a little lower than the angels. Really, the kind of the apex of God's creative work. And crowned with glory and honor. That's good news. Uh, In Acts 17, Apostle Paul quotes some Greek poetry under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, saying, We humans are God's offspring, which is not far from the truth in the sense that 2 Peter chapter 1 says that we're partakers of the divine nature. So these are great words, and we feel, wow. Humans, fantastic, except pipe bombs and Pittsburgh and Yemen. And so then some say, see, that stuff proves there is no God. (laughs) Because look at all the suffering. Look at the disaster that is humanity. But the thing about the gospel is the gospel God doesn't only in articulating our identity elevate us and and says there's nothing more beautiful than humanity. God also is relentlessly uh, and painfully accurate in his diagnosis of our brokenness. No, nothing in the creator is more beautiful, nothing's more broken than humans. Uh, Romans 8 and 19, in fact, says that creation is anxiously awaiting our redemption. Because what, if we could ever get fixed, everything else would be fixed as well. So, in the wake of a week like this, I would say more than ever, this word in Romans is appropriate for us. And the reason is this. Romans was written... Because Paul was concerned that two different people groups, though they both knew Christ, were unable to unite. Does that sound at all familiar? Two different people groups, unable to unite. Blacks, whites, men, women, rich, poor, slave, free, Republican, Democrat, liberal, fundamentalist, gay, straight, unable. And then Paul's writing to say, wait wait a minute, time out. <laughs> the most important thing we can do in a terribly broken world is to show God's uniting power actively. And so God, uh, through the Apostle Paul, equips us to do that in this text by showing us three gifts. God gives us peace. God gives us a double blessing. And, and God gives us these much more truths at the end I'm going to spend time on each of these this morning, and when we look at peace, I'd like to look at three aspects of peace found in Romans chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, you turn to Romans 5, we see that peace gives us confidence, that peace is without contingency, and that peace leads to us being compassionate. All this is very appropriate for today, this, this day in particular, at this moment in history. So it says at the beginning of Romans 5, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We have peace with God through Christ. Peace with God. Now, if you go back and, and you look at the uh, diagnosis of the human condition as articulated in the Scripture, it's painfully and beautifully accurate. In the garden, Genesis 1 and 2, you kind of look around and you go, What's wrong with humanity? Where's God? Well, God shows us what's wrong. You look at Genesis 1 and 2, here's what you see. Uh, humans, Adam and Eve, had peace with themselves internally, peace with each other, and peace with God. Kind of threefold peace. And then, you know, God had said, look, to the extent that you continue to live in relationship with me, receiving all that I am, walking with me, enjoying fellowship with me, to the extent that that continues, that peace is yours for eternity. We all want peace. Everybody does. But, though we're made for peace with self, peace with others, peace with God, Humans chose a different path, basically walked away from God in disobedience, and when we walk away from God, immediately, uh, because God is the source of peace, we forfeit that all three of those pieces. So, and you see it in the story in Genesis 1. Walk away from God, peace with self, immediately, it says, uh, Adam and Eve knew they were naked and they felt shame and they covered themselves. So I move from peace with myself to, you know what, I'm not okay, and then I, and then I, I cover myself so that you think I'm okay, even though I'm, even though I'm not okay. So, so my peace, my internal peace with myself is gone. Peace with others? Well, when God speaks to Adam and Eve and says to Adam, hey, did you eat the fruit of which I told you not to eat, I mean, a simple question, there's like two answers, yes or no, Adam finds the, like the deadly third way. Oh, <laughs> Her, the woman you gave me, that's why I ate. Women are the basis of all problems in the world. There's Adam right there, yeah. So now suddenly we're blaming, oh, Eve, you know, what's your story? That's my paraphrase. What's your story? And here's Eve. Yeah, no, don't blame me. Blame the devil, right? It's like that song, Cookie Jar by Jack Johnson. Like nobody's responsible for anything anymore. Don't blame me that I have a gun. I'm just doing what I saw on TV. Don't blame me, says the producer. I just make the film that people want to see. Hey, don't blame me. I'm fine. Yeah. So, no peace with ourselves. Secretly, we have shame. No peace with others. Blame, division. And no peace with God. Immediately, when Adam hears God's voice, what does he do? He runs and hides. Like, he walked away from God, that was the beginning of the problem, now God comes after him, Adam, where art thou? And rather than returning to God, he runs further and hides deeper. No peace with God, no peace with one another, no peace uh, with ourselves. Does that sound like an accurate diagnosis of humanity? It does to me. This is one of the reasons I believe. So it says here, Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. So I'm cut off in every way. No peace, no peace, no peace. And now it says, by virtue of the work that Christ did on the cross, I, I who was cut off from God, am now able to come home. I'm able to come home. And the, and the way I'm able to come home is through the door that is Christ. So the, the kind of the illustration that I'll use this morning is a house, and somebody, wa- they're in the house, they're a son, they're enjoying fellowship, and then they say, you know what, I'm, you know, and then they say a couple swear words, you know, and then they raise their fists, they say, I'm done with you, and they walk out of the house. And, and then they're like this, I'm going to live on my own. Well, here's God's judgment. Here's, this is God's judgment. Oh, you want to live on your own? Good, go live on your own. There's a story in the Bible, prodigal son. It's, that, it's exactly that story. You want to live as if there's no God? Here's your judgment. You get to live as if there's no God. <laughs> but then, the beauty of the story here is this. It says, we have peace with God by virtue of Christ. Christ, Watch this. Christ becomes the door back to God. So now, when I come home, whenever whenever I face this incredible dissonance, my shame, my inability to bridge uh, walls, and my distance from God, when I come home, the coffee's always there. The light's always on. I'm always welcome. And God is not kind of waiting with a, with a sword, like, oh, yeah, you am going to pay the price. There's none of that. No. Here's God. Remember the prodigal story? Remember that? When God sees us coming home from a long way off, God says, get a party ready. This is what I want. God wants us in relationship with God. Wow. And it's all available through Christ so that I, listen, I'm a, yeah, I'm a pastor, whatever, We all fail. Scripture says it this way. In many ways, we all fail. What is it for you? Cynicism? Greed? Hidden sin? Hidden addiction? Materialism? Disregard for the poor? Racism? You know, anger at people around you who who don't see the world politically the same way you do? It doesn't matter what it is. All of us are part of the problem. And this is such good news. Though I have blown it, I never, and I'm telling you this as your friend, I never doubt that God is for me, ever, never. I used to, I don't anymore. Why? Because I'm in Christ, and by virtue of being in Christ, I know that I'm accepted. No matter how far I've gone, no matter how far I've run, no matter how deeply I've failed, God loves me because God is love and God has provided in Christ a way for me to know peace. Wow, that's pretty good. That's why I said peace gives confidence, right? So if you're kind of here this morning and you're dealing with shame or dissonance in relationship or even anger at God, I have a good word for you. You can know that you know that you know that God is, you know, relentlessly for you and loves you. And there's a place at the table in the house that is God because of peace, because of Christ. So the peace gives us confidence. Second thing, this peace is without contingency. Oh yeah, yeah, peace. you You know what that means? That means, you know, we always have food on the table and... You know, our cholesterol level is always down and our blood pressure is always low and there's always peace and the market's always up and, you know, we never have any concerns about tomorrow. That's peace. That's not peace. That's not this piece because this piece says, look, we, we have hope in the glory of God. In other words, I have this confidence that I can be in the house with God. But second thing, ooh, I love this, uh, sort of. <laughs> it says, we also exult in our tribulations. In other words, we kind of, we, We glory, in a sense, in our sufferings. That is really interesting. A guy named Helmut Thielecki, a German theologian, years ago, in the 20th century, he said the biggest problem with the Western church, that's us, is that we have an inadequate view of suffering. And he kind of goes and he unpacks it. Inadequate view of suffering. Like we resist suffering. I'm going to give you a little bit different take on that this morning. Like I know many of you, and I'm going to say this regarding... Bethany Community Church, most of you don't resist suffering, actually. And here's how I know that, because I see you guys on my social media feed uh, climbing mountains, that's suffering. Running marathons, that's double suffering. (laughs) Killing it at CrossFit, that's triple suffering. And even some of you are on a ketogenic diet. That is ridiculous suffering. (laughs) bordering on masochism because, like, you're not having cinnamon rolls or anything good anymore, right? (laughs) The only thing good on a ketogenic diet is bacon. Everything else is suffering, pure suffering. So, like, if you climb, if you run, if you eat your vegetables, whatever, um, you're suffering, and here's why you suffer. You suffer because you're like this, I will be a better person for doing that. I mean, that's, that's, in the bottom line, that's why, if you're ever at Green Lake at 6.30 on a Monday morning, that's why you see me running the lake. I, it's not always fun, but I actually, by faith, believe there's a good thing that's coming out of that, you know, physiologically. So I choose that, right? And this is the text says, yeah, if you look, if you, if, if you suffer, brings about perseverance, perseverance, character. And we go, yeah, yeah. So go for a run or go climb or whatever you're going to do. Go for a million mile bike ride. It's fine. Suffer because good things happen. Now, here's why this text isn't talking about CrossFit. Here's why. He doesn't say we uh, glory in our sufferings. He says we glory in our tribulations. And here's the deal. Tribulations are different than suffering because uh, like CrossFit, it's something you chose. Running is something I choose. Climbing is something I choose. Tribulation is the thing that God puts on your plate that you didn't choose, right? Uh, Tribulation by its very nature is not chosen, it's given. It's that life-threatening infection. It's that cancer, that job loss, that domestic violence, that that move to a different city, that loss of job, that affair, that death of the family member, that, that student debt that you don't know what to do with, that is like a chain for you, that's tribulation, right? It's on your plate. And in this section, Paul shows us that no matter what tribulation is put on our plate, that can contribute to my positive transformation, to becoming more closely a a display of Jesus. Romans 8.29 says this, when you came to Christ, like when I came back into the house that is God, when I came back into the house, it said, God predetermined, that's the word predestined, Romans 8.29, God predetermined that you would look over time more and more and more and more and more like Jesus. Like, so God is unconditionally irrevocably, infinitely committed to your transformation so that you become more and more and more like Christ. That's God's plan for every, all of us in the room. So God has that as a desire for us, right? And, 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 and the way that we get there is not dependent on a tribulation-free life. In fact, to the contrary, Paul says, our tribulations, the suffering given to us kind of shakes us up and wakes us up and now we see life in a different way, and we go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I see my need for God. Before, it was, it was, I was kind of giving lip service to this. Now I get it, right? A couple of people here at Bethany, life-threatening infections, and, and their story, uh, like their, their dependency on God, their faith, through the roof. Hudson Taylor, old missionary story, at risk of a nervous breakdown, finds the power of Christ. William Wilberforce, stares the emptiness of fame and power down, and as a result of his honest consideration that though he's in Parliament in England in the in 1700s, he's not doing anything other than preserving his job. As a result of that kind of emotional crisis, he finds Christ, and not only finds Christ, but God uses him to bring an end to slavery and child labor and animal cruelty in Great Britain, all because he suffered tribulation. So, tribulation is a, is a kind of a big deal, and God is saying here, look, You don't have to worry about tribulation. You don't have to worry about it. So this is amazing because it means we can be people of hope, no matter not only what we're facing, but no fear of the future. That's why remember what Jesus said in Matthew six: Hey, why are you worried about tomorrow? What you're going to eat? What you're going to drink? What you're going to wear? What the market's going to do? Who's going to win on November uh, sixth? Listen, don't worry about it. That's not your. It's not the thing. Nothing changes because God has said this: I'll take care of you, and not only take care of you, but whatever happens, whatever tribulation happens, personally, cosmically, nationally, I, I can use it to make you more and more and more like Christ. Wow! So we become not only people of peace, but people of peace in any circumstance. That's why if you make uh, the goal of your life to be tribulation-free, you're kind of in trouble. Because then when tribulation comes, I mean, God, I say it this way because I don't like broccoli, God always puts broccoli on your plate eventually, right? It's always going to happen. Like you can get away, you can avoid broccoli for a little while, but broccoli always finds you. It always finds you. Like I was last week at a, you know, speaking up in Canada, and every meal, there's a little slight anxiety. Is there going to be any broccoli hidden in here? Because I really am super picky eater. And then, you know, finally the last, like Thursday lunch, beautiful quiche, it smells so good. And then you, you know, you take a big bite and you're not, I'm not really paying attention when I'm taking a bite because I'm talking to somebody. And then I go, oh yeah, that's it, God, isn't it? There's the broccoli. It's right there. <laughs> it's in the quiche. You can run, but you can't hide. And that's supposed to make you laugh, but you get the point is actually serious. Yeah, what is it? I don't know. What, what affliction? What broken relationship? What abuse? Don't despair. The peace of God is without contingent. You can know peace in the midst of your suffering. I promise you that. Bethany's filled with those stories. People are not, not just surviving that, but becoming more like Christ precisely because of that. That's why Paul says we don't, I don't endure my tribulation, I exalt in it. Like I see, God's going to work something good here. Here's Jesus, John 16, 33. Oh, you want to live a tribulation-free life? You have bad news. In this world, you will have tribulation. You will. However, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Then third, regarding this, uh, peace, peace creates in us compassion. Why? Because it says, uh, when we come back into the house that is God and, and rest there confidently, knowing that we're not there because we performed well. We're there because of God's mercy and grace. When we're resting in relationship with God, it says the love of God is poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit given to us. So, you know, if I use the house analogy, and you know the prodigal son story, the prodigal guy goes away, and he, and he sows his wild oats, and it's terrible, and then uh, when he's at the bottom, he goes, man, you know, I was better as a slave in, in the house than out here i want to go home. And all he wants to do is go home as a slave. He's just hungry. He's just hungry. But then when he goes home, oh, you're just hungry, but you got, you didn't. I, the, the dad doesn't just feed him a meal. The, what does the dad, the, the dad, he kills the, the fatted calf and throws a big party. Do you see? So here's, remember what Jesus says, John 7? If anybody's thirsty, come to me and drink. Are you, and if you, what makes you thirsty? Tribulation. Tribulation makes you thirsty. So yeah, now in the wake of you know, in my case, 1995, a week before coming here to Bethany, my sister died of a heart attack at the age of 42. And suddenly now my mom, who lives in California, is all alone because my dad had already died. Tribulation. Here's the thing what we see is when we're in this house of God, uh, God gives us a different lens. I'm thirsty. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. God doesn't just fill my cup. John 7 says, if you're thirsty, come to me. I won't just fill your cup. I'll turn you into a river. In other words, I will will now live in you so that you now, as you go out into this very uh, fearful world, fearful and anxious world, and angry, you go out into a fearful, angry, anxious world, here's God's promise. You'll be a source of blessing to others. Why? Because I, Christ, am a source of blessing to others, and I live in you. And that just perfectly brings us to the second uh, gift that we're given, not only the gift of peace, but the gift of the double blessing. One of the challenges with respect to sin is it brings a double curse. There's the, the curse of sin's penalty and, and, the, and the curse of sin's power, right? So I want to kind of unpack this for just a minute. Uh, the, the, the penalty of sin means, okay, you left the house, so now you're living without God. You chose that penalty, but that's the penalty. And, there, and our world is filled with people who have said, you know what, no, I'm not, I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to believe in any God, even though I'm, you know, I marvel at the eagles and the change of season and, and the constellations and the northern lights. And even though I have clean water and, and health care and a job and a family, no, you know, it's just, it just happened. It's just, just, I'm not going to give any thanks to anyone. I'm going to live as if there's no God. Well, the penalty of that is you live as if there's no God. You're cut off, and you're living autonomously. And Romans 1 reminds us that when we walk away from God, the judgment is we walk in darkness. And when we walk in darkness, we are cluelessly creating our own realities, and we bear the fruit of creating our own realities in the obvious ruts that are in our culture, right? Right? Uh, Because, oh yeah, you want to live as if there's no God? Live as if there's no God. And then what do we see today? Oh, you know, consumerism, materialism, fear, racism, tribalism, individualism, family breakdown, addictive behavior, stress, disease, Pittsburgh, Charlottesville, Charleston, South Africa, Yemen, Rwanda, Boko Haran. You want to go on? I've got an hour of just one words that explain the brokenness that is humanity. You think we... You think we've got this nailed without God? How about we try God instead? So the penalty of sin is we're cut off from God because we chose to be. And then it says in Romans 5, we're reconciled to God through the death of his son. So again, if you picture the house that is our main illustration this morning, it's like when you walked out of the door, the door disappeared. But now we're told that the door has been rebuilt and the door back to God is Christ. That's the door. How do I know that? Well, let me think. Jesus said something. What was it? Oh, that's right. I am the door. Jesus said it, right? John 10. So, so the way back to God is Christ. And, and, and that's why we're reconciled by Christ's death. Christ absorbed the penalty for our rebellion. That's what the text says. But then... Uh, so the death of Christ uh, declares that all is forgiven. But if I go back into the house, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm now in the house, but I'm still living under the power of this kind of autonomous personality, like I'm calling my own shots, I'm forgiven from sin's penalty, but I, sin's power still holds a sway over me. And this honestly is the is struggle for some of us in the room at various times. We, we know that we're saved from sin's penalty, but we still seem to be somehow under sin's power. This is, uh, like in various ways, those kind of out-of-body experiences that we have, right, where you look, where you, you get a bad argument with your spouse, and you look back and you go, man, I can't believe, come on, is that the same person who comes and worships, or, or this is like um, the fast food that you know you won't eat, and then, like on autopilot, you pull in, and you eat that junk, and then you te- feel terrible about it. This is quitting when you know you should stay. This is staying when you know sh- you should quit. This is buying when you know you shouldn't buy. This is keeping when you know you should give. This is bitterness when you know you should forgive. The problem is, though we're forgiven of sin's penalty, we're still at risk of being controlled by sin's power, and that's why Romans 5.10 is so profound. If we, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of, the, of God's Son, much more having been reconciled, watch this, we're now saved by his life. And what, is, what does that even mean, Saved. Reconciliation is not the same thing as salvation. Reconciliation means I get to go into the house again. But now that I'm in the house, salvation means this. I'm saved by the life of Christ. What life is that? It's Christ's life risen from the dead, right? So Christ rose from the dead, and then he says to his disciples uh, in the book of Acts, now I'm going to go away, but then when I go away, don't worry, because once I go away, I'm going to come back, and I'll be with you again. But now when I come back, I'll be with you through the person of the Holy Spirit, who is me, but don't sweat that for now. Theologians will argue about that later in the 13th century, but, the, you know, the Holy Spirit of me, I'll be back, and I'll, now I'll live in you. And so now, not only are you freed from sin's penalty, but you're freed from sin's power. This is why when you come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, it's so beautiful because Paul there prays. He says, I pray that you would be sanctified, in other words, that you'd be profoundly transformed in every area of your life, your spirit, your soul, that's your mind, your will, your emotions, and your body. I pray that you'd be saturated with Christ, so that your sexuality, and your money, and your politics, and your consumer habits, and your music choices, and your travel choices, your relationship with your neighbor, and your family, and your friends, and your enemies, everything looks like Jesus. That's why he came. So Paul prays that. I pray that you'd look exactly like Christ. Wow, that's a tall order. And then this is what he says. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 24. Faithful is God who called you to look like Christ. And then get explosive. He will do it. In other words, who will look like Christ? Christ. And where is Christ? In you. (laughs) So all we need do... Is on a moment by moment basis, make ourselves available to Christ, and now what ends up being displayed is Christ. That's good news. Because Jesus is basically saying this Look, I'm the only one who could ever live the Christian life. I never expected you to live it. But the good news is, I will now live in you, and to the extent that you make yourself available, to my authority and my indwelling power, you will become a unique expression of Christ. I can be in you, but you could never be on your own. That's the saving life of Christ. And this is the goal of the Christian life. Not to get your ticket punched, so you go to heaven when you die. The goal of the Christian life is for you to leave here and go be Jesus in the rain. Be Jesus at the Seahawk party you go to. Be Je- wherever you are in the marketplace. In the, in, the, in, the, in the boardroom, in the bedroom with your spouse, your sexuality, everything, everything. You're, like we're Christ, why? Because Christ lives in us. We are saved by his indwelling life. So this is, first of all, this is incredible, right? It tells me I have a power to live a life that is beyond what I can ask, think, or even imagine. And I'll just testify to that in my own life. Man, I've experienced that many, many times. When I was 19 years old, My dad had died and I was super depressed and and anxious and sick and hated public speaking. I would never have imagined that years later I'd be here. I remember one time being in India and here's the guy who hates public speaking and I'm talking to these 20 students and I teach an hour and I take a five-minute break and I teach another hour and then I go, okay, I'm done. And they go, no, you're not. Like, who said, you guys never say that. You never say that. I'm done. No, no, you're not. What do you mean I'm not done? They go, well, you're only halfway through Romans, uh, Hebrews 6. You're only halfway through. We're going to hear the rest of the chapter right now. I go, yeah, but it's break time. We, who needs a break, man? You're here. We're going to hear the Bible. And I'm sitting there and I'm teaching and I'm thinking, this is not the guy who, I never wanted to kill myself, but I, I was, I never wanted to live that life. Do you see what God is saying? Hey, what I have for you, beyond what you could ask, hope, even imagine. Just let me be God in you. And then watch the adventure begin. So A, it's incredible. But B, this, you know, indwelling Christ stuff doesn't happen accidentally. It requires your participation. Because all of us have presenting problems intended to cause us to kind of, you know, get on our knees and go, man, this is hopeless. I can't conquer my lust. I can't conquer my fear. I can't conquer my complacency. My cynicism, my materialism, my individualism. I can't my nationalism. I my racism, it's in me. I can't conquer it. Wow, that's a very good place to be. Because if you say that with open hands, here's the deal, Christ who lives in you, you begin to say, "Thank you Jesus, I can't but you can." And you live in me. So for my anxiety, Jesus, I receive your peace. Thank you. For my hatred, I receive your love. Thank you. For my lust, I receive your purity. you got to participate. One of my favorite songs recently is uh, Damien Rice's song, Older Chests. I learned it by watching that terrible show, This Is Us, which makes you cry every time. But in that, in that song, that kind of very poetically spoken, Rice goes... Yeah, this is what we say to each other when we're dealing with, we've got a thing, a presenting problem. And Jeff says to me, Richard, you okay? And I go, oh, no, hey, listen, don't worry about me. I'll be fine. It just takes, and this is what we say. We say it to each other. Just give me time. Just give me time. Yeah, just give me time, and I'll be fine. Remember? Because we say this, don't we? Time heals what? All wounds. No, it doesn't. I'm going to tell you this this morning. Time heals nothing. Like, If you're young and bitter and you don't deal with it, I have a promise. This is a prophecy. You'll be old and bitter. Fine. Go ahead. Because until you deal with it and say, I'm bitter, thank you, God, that you can fill me with the grace to forgive. Until that happens, you're bitter. So we got to do the work to allow Christ to reveal himself through us. Then finally, the much more truths of chapter 5, verses 15 to 21. And the key to this is found in verse 15, and I'm just going to focus on this real briefly. It says, the free gift is not like the trespass. So so Paul is comparing here Adam's sin to what Christ offers, right? And then several times in succession, he says, the trespass does this, but what Christ does is not this, If you were here and then the trespass does this, what Christ does is this. Does this make sense? I mean, not if you're listening to a podcast. It makes no sense at all. (laughs) So come to church. This doesn't lead to... This followed by this doesn't lead to this. When God intervened, he didn't fix it. He made it better. In the garden, what was it? Oh, you know... God walking with Adam and Eve. When Jesus came, what was it? Oh, you know, Emmanuel. God what? With us. How about today? Not with you. Got a cheerleader. Come on, Graham. A little more prayer. A little more self-denial. A little more study. You can do it. No, here's Jesus. You can't do it. So come home. Let me be in you what you cannot be. Why? Not only for your own sake and the peace you desperately need, but because people who are driving by right now are afraid or angry or lonely and desperately need to see not the political Jesus, not the American Jesus, Jesus. Love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, gentleness in you. (laughs) It's available. Let's pray together. And I'd like everyone to just close your eyes just for a moment here. Because it could be that you're facing tribulation this morning. It could be that you're facing tribulation. It could be that you're down this morning. There's 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 something on your plate that you would never have chosen. If you're you're in that situation this morning, and I'd like everybody to keep their eyes closed, I just want you to raise your hand so that I can pray for you. Would you raise your hand if you're facing tribulation? Thank you. I'm just going to let you know, the the rest of you, that's maybe 20% of the people in the room. And God has for all those people and the rest of us much more available. And if you're this morning carrying a burden for someone else, Who is in tribulation, and and you're carrying that with them, would you raise your hand? You know people who are suffering. And then we would all raise our hands if I asked this. If you're carrying the burden of our nation, (laughs) would you raise your hand? Yeah, you would. Would you pray with me? Thank you for the incredible diagnosis, Father. No one more beautiful, no one more broken than humanity. Thank you for the beautiful cure. We bring you our brokenness this morning. We bring you the brokenness of those we love. And we pray that on the far side of brokenness, Christ would be seen with more clarity. Asking this in Christ's name. Amen.